0: You are tuned into Sound Science with me, your host, Dr. Yuande Pierce, wishing you a very happy new year. Although having said that, I don't know how you're feeling, but 2020 and 2021 are feeling a little blended to me still, but hopefully they'll begin to separate as things get better and we can truly leave last year behind us. The new year is a time to, as the saying goes, turn over a new leaf. So with a hopeful spirit, I decided to dedicate the first episode of the year to plants, we literally cannot live without plants, life on earth depends on them, yet we take them so much for granted. To encourage us to live more in harmony with the plants we encounter and inspire a little more appreciation, I will be talking to three amazing artists, Alexander Kay, Alice Yuan Zhang and Adrian Adar, about their relationship to plants as subjects and how their practices hope to encourage us to treat plants more like kin. I'm not going to say much more, as there's a lot to fit into this episode, but I will apologise now for a few sound hiccups during my interview with Alice and Alex. We were all recording from home, which is always an adventure in audio production, so please bear with us. To kick us off, I thought I'd treat you to this find, a chant for your plants featuring Anne Chase artist author lecturer researcher in noetic science and graduate of the cosmic university which is actually a thing i googled it it's very strange yet extremely compelling
1: what tranquility a quiet life affords i am listening to my thoughts they sound like a rhapsody in green. My thoughts are with you, dear plants. You are such wonders to me. We are beings living here on Earth together, breathing the same air, feeling contact with the soil. We toil and spin the fabric of living matter. We are one in the shadow of God. Your majestic silence alone is worthy to be heard. A sense of want is a prayer. A vision of the quest is the quest itself. Since prayers are answered, we will pray. With the unfolding of our souls, we shall reach the true meaning of enlightenment. Let us listen to the voice of nature Consciousness shines on all creatures that has been handed down from one to another. Seeing you change through the days of my life, you teach me a lesson of strength and endurance, serenity and repose. I know the nature spirits are busy helping you grow, evolving in joy, like the stirrings of the atoms inside you, my plants. You take from silence, the strength for a new day. With each rising of the sun, you observe the hours of the...
0: Alex Wangang is a mixed reality artist, designer and programme organiser. Her work bridges the sacredness of natural environments with the speculative power of human-made ones, inviting exploration into interspecies empathy, generative networks and the illusion of agency. She's the co-organiser of Virtual Care Lab, a current resident artist at Culture Hub, and an involved member of Naval. Alice studied at the University of California, Berkeley. Alexander Kay is an artist born near Detroit, Michigan and currently residing in Los Angeles, California. His practice began in writing and producing music and has since expanded into sound and visual art. He creates experimental music with modular synthesis, field recordings, audio manipulation, chants, and aleatoric technique, and traditional instrumentation. Often finding creative guidance through random operations, he embraces unknown variables as part of the process that influences all of his work. Alice and Alex, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome to Sound Science. Hello. Hey,
2: it's so good to finally be here and to chat about the project. Yes. I'm so
0: excited. So where are you both calling in from today? Yeah,
3: I was in L.A. Um, in Highland Park with Alice until very recently I uh, moved back to where my hometown is, Detroit, but just for the winter. So I will be back on the West Coast with you all.
2: Hopefully very, very soon. Yeah, and I am based on Tamba Chumash, and Kishland here in Los Angeles, and specifically in Highland Park. And I recently moved here, um, or I should say moved back. I grew up in suburban L.A. for a few years, and I moved back to uh, L.A. more central um, in at the end of last year.
0: Awesome. So I'm actually really excited to talk about this project because it's very much about the land that we inhabit right now, 2020. And so the project that you have worked on together, is called Requiem for Lost Plants, and it was commissioned by Cream Cake Berlin and Naval Los Angeles for the 3HG Festival. So it's an immersive web-based project, which aims to resurrect ecological communities that have been uprooted and displaced by colonization and urbanization. To me, I really feel like this project is very defiant, but also incredibly romantic. So my first question is, what was the inspiration behind Requiem for Lost Plants? And how did you end up working together on this commission?
2: Yeah, so Requiem for Lost Plants is truly inspired by an alternative uh, ecological lens on the land and uh, an indigenous lens specifically through the, the plants here. And um, Alex and I actually met through the Naval Assemblies Program through the Digital Materialities Assembly that I had the pleasure of facilitating earlier this year. Um, And through that, we had been exploring various themes of how digital matter can represent or distort or otherwise play with some of the you know um well themes of our general lives um, it is virtual but it is also real life and um, and so some things like memory and preservation and um, you know and other ways of storytelling and at the time we were brainstorming something along the lines of Re- for lost plans more generally in the virtual reality medium and then eventually pivoted toward web and augmented reality um, and got more home into the idea that we currently are presenting with the project uh, through a more specific prompts that came uh, by way of Crankig um, and the 3HD festival.
3: Yeah, Alice had, um, when we did the digital materialis together and it was such an interesting experience for me, like I was just starting to get involved in some virtual reality designing myself. And I kind of, I, I heard about Naval and I went and was kind of trying to choose between one of the assemblies, and Alice's just seemed so poignant for where my head was at at the time. And then, yeah, through that, we got to know each other. But what was really cool was, I mean, I was really stoked when Alice hit me up. And um, I don't know if I told you about them, Alice, or not, but you were listening to some ambient albums that I was doing. Yeah, yeah, Temporary Castle was really great. I was like,
2: let's collaborate, yeah.
3: Yeah, and I was stoked because Alice's artwork... um, I mean, even before this project is, is so, so, so cool. And I'm like, really was already in love with her aesthetic. So it was pretty cool. I I know we were both like kind of pumped to start working on something together. Yeah, definitely.
0: That's awesome. I love how you were able to come together as part of the assembly program at Naval. Naval is obviously really close to my heart um, from being involved in it and create this project and I mean I've looked at both of your work separately and I too am a big fan of both of um, the work that you make and bringing that together in this project I think really hits a lot of different intersections and is so relevant to the LA landscape and the LA space and how we live in LA but also applicable to so many cities. Web-based visitors find themselves in an anthropocentric representation of LA in the presence of five ancestral plants. I know you worked with Parker Davis at Hahomunga Native Plant Nursery, Sophie Katz at UCLA Botanical Garden and Mike Peron at the Auburn Centre to gain a deep ecological perspective. Could you share with the audience what those plants are and what led you to choose them specifically?
2: Yeah, so the five plants that we have chosen are representative of full communities of ecology, and we have various types of ecological communities around Los Angeles, so wetlands, sand dunes, by the beach, uh, chaparral, um, and coastal sage scrub habitats, uh, among others. And so we were only able to choose a few due to truly just the amount of time that we had to create the projects, but, you know, we of course want to know that there are so so many yeah. um, even these plants uh, that we have chosen are so connected with other species that might or might not be here anymore due to you know the, the displacement of these plants Yeah, and it's a whole network it's a whole kind of mutual aid system that is working out there and so the five plants are um, the Gadingi's Black Willow, the, the Sacred White Sage, the Desert Globe Mellow, the California Everlasting and the beach laia. And each one has a particular story that we found was really empathy evoking and also represented some of the principles that we really love in nature, like generosity or reciprocity. Um, and yeah, and th- those principles we had been kind of getting to know ourselves, Alex and I, through Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Welkimer, among other
0: texts that we, we had been That's really
3: beautiful. Yeah, I think throughout the process of us choosing these plants and kind of, again, like honing in the concept a little more over time, um, a lot of things came into play. I mean, one of the main, one of the early influences that we were um, kind of brainstorming together and everything was um, just the, well, not even the concept, but the factual thing of um, mycelia networks underground, basically underneath these plants. Um, it's really, really astounding. I don't know if anyone listening hasn't really done any like deep dive on like mycelium networks. It's actually insane. It's just like yeah. the
0: brain, but underground and plants and the way they communicate. It, it's incredible.
3: <laughs> yeah, it is really. It's really, really otherworldly. But it's it's cool because it's. I mean, it's right here, and we. I, you know, it seems like as a society, maybe in the past, I don't know, twenty years or so, but it's specifically, really, the past five or ten, we've been really starting to learn a lot more about these underground networks. And yeah, some of the things that these plants are are doing in terms of communicating with each other through these networks of basically mycelia fiber is amazing. And um, when we were choosing some of these plants, like for instance, the the black willow. Um, just knowing that that was like a larger um, plant in the area, you're being like a, a larger tree, for me, I almost started to to see the the root systems that that it that it has underground, even though we you know we can't really see it. But you start to get a sense of how important these plants are in their in their own ecological spheres, and. Mm-hmm. Just trying to like kind of just wrap our human brains around that was really interesting because it's not something you normally think about, you know.
0: It's so incredible. And I know with your background with music, you know, the sonification of mycelium. Have you explored that at all?
3: Yeah, definitely. Actually, the ironically, the same plant that we were just talking about was one of the ones that I, I really specifically tried to put a good amount of thought into how to represent its mycelia networks. Again, being such a, a large plant in the area, um, it does have a large impact on the nutrient system around it. And yeah, not to get too extremely esoteric audio, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you if you get a chance to experience the project or or hear any of the audio, that plant in particular has a very, um, I don't know the right word to describe it, but it, it almost sounds like nutrients or data being passed through roots in my mind it's not a very pretty sound so to speak it's not mm-hmm. I, I, tried, I tried to make it not very human not put too much of my human um, musical instincts in it but it just to me that's what it would sound like if, if a plant was kind of like um, sending out nutrient it's messages kind of to I like the
2: packages and the, the loops and the, the it, it feels like the electronic currents echo mm-hmm. sort mm-hmm. of exchange
0: underground right
3: yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was, that was at least the intention.
0: Moving into the actual experience, I've done it a few times and the whole experience is hard to describe over the radio. So I just urge the audience to um, log on and then the details will be on our website. But when I did it myself, I just found like the visuals, the music together it's just such a perfect union and it really brings you into this experience when I was on the on the filter as well I think I went on late at night and I was just in bed in my room and you know it's actually quite a meditative environment to be in and when I went onto the platform I loved reading about each of the plants and their significance especially from a healing perspective which is something that I'm also interested in and what I found amazing about the experience is how much empathy. You really feel for these plants when you use the filters um, and with the sound and experience together. So, I mean, by sharing space with them, it creates a relationship and then a sense of loss, I found, when you're confronted (laughs) with their real life absence. So when I was lying in bed in this other world and then came out of it, it just sort of left me feeling kind of like a little bit depressed, like thinking about the fact that these plants, species are, you know, no longer with us. So I wonder which of the plants you most relate to.
3: Yeah, it's really interesting. We've gotten to know all five of these plants like pretty well, more than I've ever known about any, any plants in my life for sure, which is really cool. You know, when you start to do deep research on these things, you don't only learn about their, you know, their ecological characteristics, but also, I don't know, their their more poetic characteristics, for lack of a better word. Like, for instance, I mean, my favorite, I don't know if S is your favorite too, Alice, I always feel bad that I steal your, <laughs> your favorite one before <laughs> you get a chance. But I know my favorite and one of both of our favorites is the globe, the desert globe malo. It's just such an interesting plant. And um, the cool thing about it is it directly interfaces with the native bees of the area, and they have this really cool symbiotic relationship where the bees actually nap within the flower petals of the globe mallow, and they will actually like close up around the little bees to kind of protect them while they're napping. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah, <laughs> so really, really, really interesting things, and that was one of the cool things about the project to me is that I never knew that. It's likely, unless I did a project like this, that I, I may have never really known that about this specific plant. So, just even knowing five plants more personally for me is is really interesting, and kind of gives me a different lens on, on nature when I'm when I'm taking a hike or when I'm walking through the city, you know.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And for me, I would say the California Everlasting, the story for that is really great. And that story we learned from Parker, who is passing on a Chumash story of the native um, Chumash community here, who said that the California Everlasting is actually blooming a lot this year because it is a way of nature taking care of because it is actually traditionally used as a respiratory medicine. And wow. so, kind of, yeah, are That's alluding amazing. to the COVID uh, situation right now and, and how the everlasting is kind of the land's way of, you know, providing extra medicine, which is for not if we don't see that medicine, if we don't cultivate that relationship, right? And so something that was really interesting in the beginning of when we were trying to do research is that we were actually looking for truly extinct species to feature on the land. And that was really, really tough to look for, to find species, not just in a record of, you know, obituaries of, you know, who's dead around the area, but Mm -hmm. it's, we really wanted to find their stories as well and what role did they play in their local habitat in their communities were they you know a cornucopia of tools and of resources were they you know kind of a mothering plant were they a home a shelter like the globe mallow and were they kind of a mystical being sort of like the white sage and it was so hard to find any of that so we ended up with these five plants four of which are um, some somewhat still around, although their habitats have been truly still disturbed. And then one, the beach laia is a
0: plant that is going extinct. Um,
2: And then, oh yeah. Okay. So I'll just leave it there. And then I have a quote that I want to kind of...
0: Yeah, I mean, just talking to you both about the stories behind some of these plants, I agree with you, Alexander. When you have that deeper meaning and deeper familiarity and that surprising way that you can relate (laughs) to these plants, and then you go out into nature, it's actually quite incredible how it changes your view on what you're surrounded by and what you notice and Mm -hmm. how you disregard them and actually have respect for them. I love how you describe them as plant elders because they we should have so much respect for them and I feel like we take for granted often because we're in an urban environment we don't think of it as nature we think we have to get in a car and then drive you know an hour out of the city to really be in nature but actually we're surrounded by plants in LA and I'm glad to hear that four of them are still with us. they're often powerless against human intervention. So as you said, they have all been affected and impacted by human activity. But at the same time, they're actually extremely powerful. For example, the first land plants may have actually induced an ice age. Plants are very powerful. And you describe the plants in the project as plant elders, as I mentioned, and you speak about their wisdom. Alice, I don't know if the the quote fits in here. But how do you think we as humans can cultivate that wisdom in relation to how we live in
3: Earth? Spaces.
1: Oh, yeah.
3: Alec, do you have that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just gonna say. I mean, for me, I, yeah. I think it's just about listening more. I, I mean, not to sound corny, but like listening to the plants more. There's not many people in LA that are adopting. Well, actually, I guess I should say, you know, everyone that has their homes and their and their home gardens anywhere in the in the country. Not many people are doing native plants like natural gardens. And it's a really easy thing to do. Like, all you have to do is have a little knowledge about your area and what plants would kind of normally happen there. And you can have a really interesting, like, native plant kind of like nursery in your own home. And it's just like little things like that to me, just getting a little bit closer to what nature actually wants to do naturally, as opposed to what we as humans naively think is most pretty, you know, aesthetically for like our yard. So it's, For me, it's like small things like that and just kind of like getting a little bit closer to to nature.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's so interesting thinking about what we deem to be aesthetic. And yeah, things like the palm tree, many of the palm trees that we see around the city are not native to the area. They were planted here as a real estate ploy to kind of sell Los Angeles as a certain sort of size of of a city, right? And so thinking about, you know, then the aesthetics that nature comes up with that are useful. So for example, the fact that yellow and purple flowers or, you know, plants would grow together to attract pollinators or Mm -hmm. the globe mellow. Yeah, the globe mellow um, showing up the way it does and its particular shade or its particular size um, is good for the bees. You know, there are all of those relationships. And so if we are just disrupting those relationships, there are a lot of consequences for not just the plants that we see, but the um, species that are working with those plants. But then if we are able to kind of help, you know, amplify those relationships and plant more milkweed in the yard for monarch butterflies around here, for example, or other plants that are native, then it gives them a little bit more of a chance to, you know, keep going in the environment. And I think about it as like, you know, these individual plants and the way that we have featured them in sort of way that shows agency for each plant and a sort of like you are walking up to that plant in the environment or you're opening it up to your in your phone. And it's this being, and you're one being. And that's kind of like a a level ground for finding a bit of empathy. But to really think about that as one unit of a larger scale of ecological communities, whole communities, and then even bigger the um, the climate as it is right now. All of that is interlinked, and we are entangled with them. Our fates are entangled with them, and so it's you know just as much a way of making home of ourselves and practicing on this land that we live on, um, and as well as um, respecting indigenous communities and and listening to them as well. To I will. Say Say land back um, and listen to them um, to, to see what the land should, um, you know, how we can work
0: with it and not against it so natural actually to live in harmony with these plants and respectfully develop around them if that's possible as I walk down the streets and I see sort of succulents springing from one of the pavements and they're so beautiful and yet there's a huge market for succulents and Mm -hmm. uh, the price you'll pay for what we deem to be aesthetic and so I think finding the beauty and the purpose in all of these plants, in the natural environment and how they should be, is really beautiful and should be yeah. a priority.
2: So Alex and I have both done a little bit of a pilgrimage drive around the site. So we should mention that each of the plants is situated and contextualized in a particular site that we have chosen that is you know, representative of urban Disturbance. So, for example, the California everlasting is situated at Discovery Well Park, which is a park commemorating the first oil strike in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. South and Huntington Beach, and then the beach Laya, for example, is contextualized in the eroding shores by the LAX airport. There and there's kind of an interesting story with that too. So, each of the stories is online that listeners can dig deeper into, but through those. Po- pilgrimage trips, I think we've also experienced a a deeper relationship with these plants and and with the city as well, just kind of driving by these urban environments and then pulling up the augmented reality filters against them felt almost like a toll of protest or of reimagination or of remembering. Yeah. And Alex, you too, right, with the the sound and kind of meditating on that in a way, getting those nature recordings.
3: Yeah, yeah. I went around um, to each of the sites or almost each of the sites because there's a lot of field recordings in the environment. Like each plant has its obviously its own kind of like sound design elements. But there's also um, a handful of, you know, real life kind of field recordings in there that were recorded at each of these sites. So Alice and I visited a few of these sites, you know, earlier on physically being there and often physically seeing these plants, like especially the the black willow on the L.A. River by the train yard, just kind of like seeing those plants, seeing the area that has been developed, that, that is there now and wondering what it used to look like when these plants used to be able to thrive, however they saw fit instead of how, you know. However, we decided they should thrive. Is is really interesting. And um yeah, definitely contextualize a lot of the project, even for me. I mean it's the project has so many layers and there's and there's so much history with these plants. There's a lot to learn, you know.
0: Alice, you had a quote, can I ask you to read it?
2: Yes. So You know, Ywanda when you were mentioning that at the beginning, when you first moved to Los Angeles, that sort of disorientation with it being such a concrete jungle, but then there are these alternative narratives of ecologies. Some of the plants are supposed to be here. Others have kind of snuck their way in um, with human allies. And (laughs) it's interesting. I mean, so I was thinking about that a lot when I was driving around. Los Angeles, stalling the augmented reality filters. And one quote that I would always go back to is actually from Arts of Living on a Damaged Planet, and um, which is a great book. I would highly recommend that as kind of a Bible of the times. And there's this one quote by Karen Barad in one of the essays in there called No Small Matter. And it's talking about the, the void. So it says, the void... A much-valued colonialist apparatus, a crafty and insidious imaginary, a way of offering justification for claims of ownership, and the discovery, and it's got discovery, in quotes, of version, in quotes, version territory. The notion that untended, uncultivated, uncivilized spaces are empty rather than plentiful has been a well-worn tool used in service of colonialism, racism, capitalism, militarism, imperialism, nationalism, and scientism. The void is not empty, mere lack, or absence. The dying is within the living, within the dying. And that, I think, comes to sum up what I have learned in the span of this project and is continuing to learn is practicing this other way of seeing and listening. Other way of taking in the environment and the land and the home around us um, and, and seeing these alternative narratives and seeing, you know, this highway and knowing that it is not a void. It is actually, there are these stories and these deaths and, you know, potentiality of life and and us as life around it. And there's this whole entanglement that we should recognize as a way to figure out how to move forward.
3: I was going to say, I, I really like that quote as well, Alice. I'm, I was really happy when you showed us that. And And I always get this specific image in my head of some kind of, you know, settlers coming onto a land and seeing like an open field of native plants and thinking like, oh my God, look at all this potential. We could put a building here and a garden here. It's like, like, no, it's already, it's actually already perfect. Please don't
0: don't
3: do anything.
0: Like it's so profound. Like, oh my goodness. (laughs) Absolutely.
2: And the way that we've kind of contextualize everything especially in the web-based environment is to show a certain tension but as you mentioned there is also something romantic about the tone of it I mean it is not to condemn anyone and it's not to you know put a pedestal on the plants even it's sort of a way of illustrating the
0: situation of living together it is a really nice opportunity to see something that you may not have seen. So it's, it's really not a condemnation. I will agree with that. It actually just is inc- sort of like come and see, like this alternative way. And then you kind of come to these conclusions yourself rather than being you know, mm. rather than condemning you, it's just sort of an opportunity to very gently, very beautifully sort of see an alternative and kind of think about things a little bit differently. I mean, the land of Los Angeles is very fitting for this project, given its history and culture. Are there any other lands that you think have a particularly interesting plant history that you'd like to explore next?
3: I think, oh, this is, this is interesting. I mean, I think in reality, all land is deserving of the kind of the, the stories of their plants being told for sure. I mean, especially heavily urbanized lands, big cities. Um, absolutely. So I guess <laughs> this is, you guys are really gonna like the spin. Um. So, having said that, I think then it just defaults to like wherever I really want to visit and study. Which <laughs> I would say, I, I mean, I really, yeah, I have a couple of cities I would really like to visit and learn more about their kind of natural habitats and their natural plants. But Alice, did you have anywhere actually like really? I love that.
2: I love that as an answer. And <laughs> I think that, yeah, I mean, in a way, us making this project for where we both live is a, an invitation for others to also look at their own. Especially urban environments, right? And thinking about like, oh, what ghosts and what, you know, plant elders are around here that I should know about um, and that I can do my own research on. It, it is meant to be generative in that way.
4: hmm.
0: I love that. I cannot urge the listeners, if you're listening enough, that you really need to try this experience and try the filters and go onto the website because it's, I mean, it's hard to describe the experience in itself. Could you share where um, the listeners need to go to experience Primphilos Plants? There's a website, there's also the filters on Instagram. Sure.
2: So the website... You can access as 3hd festival.com slash commission slash requiem dash or dash lost dash plant. You can also find it just on the 3hd festival website, um, on the uh, naval website. Um, and then, the there's. if you're in Los Angeles, if you're local to the area, you can actually visit them in person. We have augmented reality installations around the five locations for each of the plants, um, and that can be accessible at any url.com slash regbam dash map yeah and you can find the augmented reality filters on my instagram at alice yuan Cheng. you can also find them through the
0: website that's amazing and i'm going to put all of this on the show notes as well <laughs> um because it's a lot to remember hey,
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, alice and alexander it's been such a pleasure having you on the show i really really love this project and it's just been great to get a real insight into sort of how it's come to be and um some of the the meaning behind it. I will let you go.
3: <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. It was really
0: yeah. show And have a good
3: start to the year. Thank you so much.
0: You. Take care, Ywande. Take care.
3: Yeah, nice to talk to you. Okay, talk to you soon.
0: Up next, my interview with Adrian Adar. Stay tuned. Adrian Adar is a sound artist and photographer based in Los Angeles. She creates interactive work, often incorporating living plants and technology in site-specific installations. Adar animates plants with sound, seeking to activate unexpected connections to the natural environment. Adar received her MFA from NYU International Center of Photography and studied at the Slade School of Art in London. Her work has been shown in Los Angeles, New York, Wyoming, London, and Seoul, Korea, as well as Beijing, Shanghai, and Tianjin in China. She is participating organizer of high desert test sites in Joshua Tree, California, and a member of the Southern California Succulent Society. Adrienne, welcome to Sound Science. How are you doing? Great, great. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so excited to have you on the show because what (laughs) the listeners don't know is how long we've been trying to make this happen and it's finally happening so it's uh, it's a little bit surreal as you were saying but definitely exciting.
4: Yeah I'm so glad to be here. Um, I've been listening to your podcast for a while and it's uh, just so amazing and I know some of the things you're talking about but not as in-depthly, and I just learn so much every time I listen so I'm so happy to uh now participate in the in your work.
0: Oh, that makes me really happy. It's, it's such a pleasure to have you. Um, I'm glad that we're finally getting a chance to chat. First question, if we just jump right in, is this episode is all about plants, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on this episode. So can you describe your art in your own words? What drew you to plants specifically?
4: I think that as a photographer, that's my background. That's kind of what I entered grad school doing, I was really interested in translation and translation of information. And so I started trying to kind of convert my experience with photography and kind of visual information and the language of imagery and thought about uh, how we react to sound as well. And so I started basically making these i would i would call them like experiments into mm-hmm. uh you know into these relationships between how external information is created for us right like pictures and music and sound you know and all these things and then how our own sensory perceptions uh are Translating information for us constantly and how we feel those things and how they communicate. Right. So I my time in grad school was kind of investigating those processes. And my experiments basically were my artwork and my observations Mm -hmm. were my photography. And I kind of tried to see how they intertwined. And so I started playing with sound back. In grad school, and that's kind of making sound sculptures, and what that meant, and it just kind of turned me on to this progressive world of and getting into early two thousands technology. Now I'm dating myself, but it was, really, <laughs> it was it was very different. It was very very different. You know, I came from like analog dark room. Digital was just coming around. You know, in. Two thousand two, three, four, you know, and so that's a part that's a big part of the evolution of try of me trying to understand the work that I'm doing, right? The plants came about from kind of all of that background of thinking about living not living like what makes something living you know like how do we respond to something living and living in new york city at the time i think i saw kind of like digital human like the early 2000s were very full of like cybernetics and like this kind of you know half sci-fi human yeah. <laughs> you know human futuristic person and we're all going to mm-hmm. be these like really sleek beautiful computers but like mm-hmm. we took uh, a left turn somewhere and we're kind of you know muddling through it but in 2000, in the early 2000s, it was a topic of conversation in grad school for sure. And like, you know, Google kind of only came to be something in like 2004-ish, you know, and everyone was using whatever other software. So I started writing a program using processing, the processing language, and mm-hmm. and basically took digital photos and turned them into their equivalent sound so you could like listen to the picture right and that was very interesting for me it took a really long time to really unpack what I was trying to explain and so now it basically it runs a program that will take in a digital photograph and turn each pixel into a note or a tone and it will run through the whole picture so it also turned this photo into like a time-based media photos were Only like 640 by 480. That was like a large digital image, right? And that would take like four minutes to listen to. So it kind of really changed the way I thought about um, information and how it's stored and this digital language where everything is so much more laterally exchangeable, you know, like we used to have to convert units and stuff, but now everything's digital. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, just you can take English and turn it into Chinese, like no problem. It might. And and it's funny because it leaves a trace of like a computer, right? Because it's never exactly the same. It's never, yeah. The translation is never exactly how the human would say it. And I think that those holes of where the non-human shows up is super interesting
0: given the time at which you started exploring these ideas uh, with audio technology and what's living what's not living I think technology is changing at such a fast rate now that it's really interesting to hear the inception of these ideas and what I find so intriguing about your work is how you combine living plants and audio technology as a way to interpret information that otherwise is quite intangible Um, and when you're talking about the photography and having you know an image and how you translate that into something, it's an audio. I think that it's really relevant when you're thinking about something that is considered an inanimate object, but in actual fact is very much living. <laughs> so, one of your biggest projects exploring these ideas was Listening Trees of Taos and Plant Sound Listening Stations, which allowed viewers to experience the wonders of the native trees and plants of Taos through sound, which sounds absolutely amazing. And so, I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about that project and its inception and also why taos
4: so i first visited taos new mexico um when i was working for the artist larry bell and Mm -hmm. he lives there part-time and has a studio and he's also this wonderful you know mad scientist genius artist who i've had the amazing pleasure to learn so much from and Mm -hmm. i went there uh, on occasions to to be at a studio or for whatever uh for work and stuff and just started you know, you'd go there and you talk to people and they'd be like, Oh, we have this event that goes on every year, you should apply. And like, that was basically it. So I was in Taos working with Larry. And I learned about the Taos Art and Technology Festival, basically that Mm -hmm. happens every year. And, and so I applied with my work the next year. And that was kind of how it happened. And then what was interesting about my work is that I wanted to use the living plants and these huge 150 year old trees that are in the plaza and that are really important to kind of the identity of this old plaza and from mm-hmm. like the 19th century. But they are also at the same time, you know, coming kind of to the end of their life as these trees. And it's kind of interesting to think like these people who live there want it to be a monument you know, but it's really, Mm -hmm. it's just a tree and it's going to have a life. Right. Uh, I don't think that we really think about that. I think we think of them as like, I don't know. Yeah. These monumental kind of sculpture, Mm -hmm. sculptural things that aren't alive and so that's really where I kind of started making my sound sculptures with plants. And then it seems
0: that um, you continued working in that direction because your most recent project is at the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens and that happened last year and it took place from May to October of 2019 and you received an NEA and a Brooklyn Arts Council grant to do this work so could you speak a little bit to that project and the difference between your first project in Taos, and then now doing something more recently at the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens.
4: Sure. So project in Taos was my first kind of large scale installation of these sound sculptures with living plants that I had done. First, you know, they were kind of in my studio and and, uh, they were just kind of domestically positioned. And so this is really exciting to do this in Taos. And also it was very, you know, you have to do kind of different steps to kind of learn what you need to do next time. So the one in Taos, it was a lot of people. I actually don't know, maybe five, 6,000 people, you know, over the course of a weekend. And I learned how people interact with, you know, the trees and the sculptures themselves and what the reactions are. And it's a very kind of communicative mm. human behavior dance. It's very interesting. I didn't really start there, but to deal with cacta, I think started because they were in a time in like 2012, so positioned as sculptures. Mm-hmm. And I would have a lot of conversations with people being like you know I brought this orchid and I put it you know in the sun in the corner and it died and it was like yeah because (laughs) you know like what do you do like but I wanted it there it looked good you know Looked good on that part of the you know area or or taking like a giant bird of paradise because you like the way it looks but it really needs like an enormous amount of sun to be happy you know and putting it like in your house because like I don't know you like the way it looks right I actually just moved my orchid from like this dark corner because
0: I was like I really wanted it on that shelf and right. like it's dying move it to somewhere else
4: right. Right. so uh, yeah I hear you carry on <laughs> yeah so that's kind of what began the work particularly with the plants of this like our idea of plants as objects that please us and so because the our relationship with plants and natural vine is so complex and so in-depth you know we could talk about farming we could talk about plant medicine we could talk about anything right so I was aware of that and it was too much to encounter so I just took this small part and I was like you know, everyone thinks cacti are like rock, mm. and they kind of set them up, and they just stand there, and they just love the novel shape. And people also like them because they assume that they don't need any care, like a cactus. You're like, yeah just gonna sit there. I don't need water it. I don't (laughs) need to sit on my office desk under fluorescent lights for, you know, three years. Doesn't matter. So that kind of relationship is really interesting to me. So that's kind of why I brought cacti and succulent into the forefront instead of kind of dealing with trees or every plant in the universe.
0: I like what you're saying about them being taken for granted as something that doesn't need a lot of care, that is more sculptural and um, ornamental, that can just go in your house without really thinking about it. And through bringing sound into your art, it almost acts as like a a medium. I mean, you started off as a visual artist and then you became interested in sound. So one thing that I was um, really keen to ask you is how much engineering goes into your plant sonification work. So in other words, do you create sounds that complement the plant through your own interpretation or do the plants themselves dictate the sound and how are they influenced by their environment?
4: So I do both, but in the case of the uh, project in Taos, they were, people were listening to only the tree and how their movements and touching and, you know, hitting or scratching or whatever it was translated through the tree and they heard what the tree was feeling. And that is the same principle that, you know, my smaller works have as well. Whereas, you know, where the person kind of comes over, this is like uh, one of my sound objects on a pedestal in a gallery and they kind of won't know what to do and they won't know what to approach it. And then like, Uh, they'll they'll have even a plaque that says please touch but be gentle plants are alive Mm. and I had someone come over to me and say why does that say don't touch we know not to touch it's art and I was like it it says please touch right so that kind of (laughs) is a perfect example (laughs) of humans just being like completely assuming information instead of like actually right because the mind just wants to like make things quick and like jump to what's familiar right oh yeah it's a complete
0: prediction machine
4: right So that was very interesting. And then uh, the another part of this was, and this is just me observing people interact with it, which was fascinating for me. And they would kind of they wouldn't know what to do. And someone would eventually, you know, touch it in some way. And uh, they would hear a sound. So there'd be like a feedback. And then they'd be like, Oh, and then they'd really be interested in it. And Then they would start kind of playing it or kind of taking advantage of it and not being as careful because they suddenly got comfortable. And then they would kind of look away and try to call someone over like, hey, look what I'm doing. And they would get pricked by the cactus. And then they would suddenly, it was really funny, and suddenly they would be angry at the plant, right? Or at the object. It was just hilarious. And they'd be like, what? Oh, (laughs) So that kind of drove a lot of my subsequent uh, artworks because of this relationship that we have that is, you know, pretty complicated in in terms of just caring about it or not or how it's presented. It changes, you know, the context. And I, I found that very interesting.
0: I agree. And I think, I mean, at the heart of it, I guess it is about developing empathy, With plants, um, which we've spoken about on the show before, and when we had a an episode on mycelium Mm
3: -hmm. and mushrooms,
0: Um, and so I think sound is so powerful because it is akin to language in a way. Not that they are speaking in their language; they have a way of communicating. But by introducing sound, you're sort of bridging that gap between humans and all of our assumptions and our own agendas and perceptions and expectations to be able to sort of develop. A little bit more empathy and it's interesting that sometimes it backfires. I'm asking for myself here as someone who really struggles to keep their plants alive and wish they would be able to just tell me what they need. So I mean I came across some unpublished research from the Tel Aviv University in Israel that found tomato and tobacco plants made sounds at frequencies that humans can't hear when stressed by a lack of water or when their stem is cut So this is unpublished research. And I just wondered, have you experimented with dying plants? You talked about in Taos, like this is a really old tree that is aging. So it's changing. Thinking about dying plants, have you thought about that or what with that idea? And what do they sound like?
4: So, I kind of want to go back and answer your previous question, which was about the engineering, and just mm-hmm. go over that. So, I make sensors that pick up the internal vibrations of the plant when they're mm. touched, either by a human or by wind or whatever it is, an insect, all kinds of things. And so, most of the projects are interactive in that way where you are there to kind of participate in hearing these sounds that are kind of available all the time. But I also create compositions using plant sounds, right? Playing them, you know, touching them, feeling them. But I have some audio, sorry, some video that accompanies those pieces, but I think it's that picture sound relationship. They kind of cross over each other all the time. So that's kind of just something that I think is interesting and it's evolving and it's how it's presented to the viewer and and then when they go outside and walk down the street and see these plants you know all of that kind of works itself into which was something that happened at brooklyn Botanic garden a lot it was great because it was located in the front in the kind of center main hall Mm -hmm. where all the visitors entered so everyone kind of had to mostly go through this area where my sculpture was, and it was a huge uh twenty one foot long sculpture with twenty one different plants audioized plants to listen to, and you could touch and there were instructions and it was really interesting because of course, then, as you walk through the garden, all you see are signs of like, don't touch, don't step on the grass, you know, basically don't interact and we're it's kind of kind of be like a plant museum, right mm-hmm. and a lot of the feedback was that. It really changed how these visitors walked through the garden because all of a sudden they were aware that these things have sound, that they make sound, that if you see the wind blowing through them, that sound is happening and frequency and and vibrations are happening that they're not able to hear. Right. But any of that (laughs) movement and energy is is felt in the plant.
0: I think that's so cool because it really kind of gets you to think about how things in our environment respond to us. Usually we're just thinking about ourselves as we move through the world and the world is just a background for whatever we want to play out. And so just changing that awareness to focus on, okay, I'm here with these living things and when I interact with them, there is a response, Mm -hmm. completely changes the dynamic. And then you take that away and then you go out in the world and I think your perception changes. Maybe it's temporary, but I'm sure that the people who left the exhibition had more awareness as they walked through the city of new york so i think that's really cool it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show if the
4: audience wants to check out more of your work um where should they go Sure, my website is adrianadar.com and instagram is probably my best representation right now of of Mm -hmm. the array of work and uh i also have work up on soundcloud and vimeo if they want to see uh some older past work and uh videos and yeah um i think that's it I think those are all the sites
0: that's awesome i'm going to continue to follow your work i'm excited to see what next year brings thank you okay. so much for having me it's a pleasure that's it folks for all the show notes you can go to www.soundsciencepodcast.com the show will be archived on the Dublab lab website in a few days and for the podcast version subscribe on itunes spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts that's all from me have a wonderful week until next month